I, I got to tell you this. I don't know if you fly a lot, um, but I'm going to tell you one of, the, one of the most enjoyable things about flying a lot is when you make your reservation and all of a sudden Delta, if you fly Delta like I do, they upgrade your seat like immediately or before you get on the plane. Like you get economy and all next thing you know, they upgrade your flight, your seat to Comfort Plus. Has that ever happened to anybody? Oh, it's a beautiful thing because when you go into Comfort Plus, there's more leg room, the snacks are better. I mean, it's just a better experience, right? I know many of you are watching online, so I want you to listen to what I'm saying right now, okay? We've upgraded the whole room to Comfort Plus. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? So I was walking through here a few weeks ago and I went, I don't think I could squeeze between these chairs. We need to create some more space. So we took out a couple hundred chairs and we created a lot more leg room for you, okay? I'm not promising any snacks, <laughs> but we have upgraded all of you to Comfort Plus. And so thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And if you're watching online and that's keeping you from coming back to church, get back here. Okay? You've been upgraded. Okay. So got that going on. And uh, next Sunday, we are going to be having, uh, doing a vision morning. I have not done one of those in a little bit. And I just feel like it's time for us to kind of um, come together as a, as a body, as a family. And let's talk about where we're going and uh, talk about the future. And I'm excited about that. Those are always really fun mornings, a lot of fired up stuff and people get excited. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to share some vision with you about where we're going for the next 100 years. Because I'm going to be here. All right, so we've been in an incredible series called Draw Near. I've enjoyed this series so much. And next week, uh, this will be the last Sunday of that. But it, it, as you know, we've been kind of camping around this verse from James chapter 4, verse 8, where James, write the, James writes this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And in week one, we talked about positioning our hearts to draw near to God and how humility plays a powerful role in preparing our hearts to live in God's presence. And then if you remember from week two, we had the blizzard of 2022. And while we were digging ourselves out of all of the snow and ice that we got here, we were able to watch online and I, and I talked about how Jesus has paved the way for us to come into God's presence and to draw near to him. And, and I taught you the doctrine of atonement. What does atonement mean? Atonement means reconciliation. There's only one way that we can come before a, a holy holy, holy God of the universe, and that's through the blood of Jesus and his work on the cross. Jesus reconciled us into a right relationship with God. That's atonement. And then last week, Todd Hampton did a fantastic job talking about how to draw near to God. He gave us some practical tools that we can all use, we all have access to, to help us to draw closer to God. And listen, I've known Todd for, for, well, honestly, since he was seventh, in seventh grade. Same hair, same personality, just more mature and a phenomenal student pastor. So, so blessed and grateful for Todd Hampton. Did a great job. I was watching that thinking, man, I'm glad our high schoolers get a chance to hear him every week. Um, but in, at the same time, I want you to be praying for Todd's dad. He's been in the hospital for a couple weeks and... He has been struggling with COVID. He's, uh, he's been, right now he's on about 70, 80% oxygen. He's got some things going on in his lungs and uh, he's, it's, it's been a tough 
battle for him, but he's made some good progress yesterday, so be praying for his dad, Jerry, if you would. This morning, I want to end this series by talking about what can we expect as we draw near to God. As you walk into God's presence and approach God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what can you expect in the throne room? What can you expect from all three of them? Before we do that, I want to pray together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that each one of you, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are playing a role in our lives at this very moment. And as we come into your presence, Lord, I thank you that each one of you is doing something in our lives at this very moment to draw us closer to you. And I thank you for that. And may, as, as, as we open up the word and as we look at this, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, and our eyes could truly see what it is you want us to do as you call us to be closer to you than ever before, more intimate as you call us to draw near. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We know from so many studies in early childhood development that so much of who we are and so much of what we actually think about life and relationships is formed in our formative years, years zero to five. And in the first five years of life, experiences and relationships stimulate children's development, creating millions of connections in our brain. Matter of fact, we know that children's brains develop faster in the first five years than any other time in their lives. And so this is the time when the foundations for learning and for health and behavior and relationships through life are just simply laid down. For example, a recent study uh, in a journal called Child Development found that the type of emotional support that a child receives during the first three and a half years affects education, social life, and relationships even 20 or 30 years later. So Based on science, so much of who we are right now at this very moment was shaped in the earliest years of our lives. And all of that trickles over into our thoughts and beliefs about the character of God and the impressions that we have, the beliefs and the thoughts we have about who Jesus is and how the Holy Spirit impacts our lives. Now, I want to take you back, if I could, 55 years to Detroit, Michigan, to a very young Brian Bloy. Okay. He and I have about the same hairline right now. Matter of fact, you stick a goatee on that kid, it looks just like me today, okay? I was, um, I was what you might call a very spirited, active little boy in my formative years. Don't be fooled by that picture, okay? I had a very bad temper, which oftentimes got me into a lot of trouble. And there are a few stories of me, my mom will attest to this, she's sitting right over here, of me cussing out family members and neighbors, Okay, I could cuss with the best of them at about three years old. When I was about three or four years old, I had a babysitter who watched me a lot, and, and her go-to phrase when I got in trouble was this, Jesus is going to get you. <laughs> so every time I got in trouble in her house, that's what she said to me. Matter of fact, one time I, so if, you, if you're my age or older or around my age, you remember TVs used to be like, really big. They had a big tube in the back. They used to weigh a ton and they used to sit on like a stand. They were actually like a piece of furniture. And one time in her house, I shoved her TV through the front window. I just remember it. Jesus was really going to get me that day. 
okay? He was out to get me. And listen, I believed her. I really did. Jesus was going to get me. And then growing up in some very rigid Baptist church circles, I, I was taught that there were many things about the Holy Spirit that were just some completely off limits, needed to be avoided. Matter of fact, a lot of it was the work of Satan. And I remember listening to uh, my mom and her sisters sing one time at this one particular church. It was a charismatic church. And I was sitting there with my grandparents and uh, the emotions were running high in this church, okay? There was a lot of stuff going on. People were running around. And I'm a little boy, and I, but I remember hearing all of that discussed later on as some crazy, emotional, Holy Ghost stuff that needed to be avoided at all costs. I also heard, grew up with a lot of hellfire brimstone preaching when I was young, and some of it literally scared me to death. I heard, about, I heard a lot about God's love, but I also got a heavy, heavy dose of teaching on God's wrath. I cannot tell you how many times as a child I got resaved for the fear that either I didn't pray it the right way or maybe I didn't really mean it, okay? I, I think I was resaved at least over 200 times. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, every time I got to pray it again just in case it didn't take. So in my earliest years, my formative years, here's some of the messaging that I, that, that I was hearing. If you're bad, Jesus is going to get you. Avoid the Holy Ghost at all cost when, because he's a ghost, number one, that right there scares you. And God loves me, but he will be, he'll be swift to punish me and it will be severe. So walking with God as a child was like kind of an emotional roller coaster for, for me because I was not always quite sure about how he felt about me. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, because you can grow up in a great home environment like I did with wonderful parents as I had and still come away with a skewed version of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Others of you, maybe you grew up in a very different kind of home, experiences me, maybe a, even a different kind of religious background, but some things have happened or happened in your formative years that have maybe twisted your view of God just a bit. And so when you hear James 4, which says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, there are a lot of things that are going on. There are a lot of different thoughts and beliefs and emotions that are, all of a sudden are triggered inside of you that are not necessarily true. And some of those things are holding you back today from really drawing close. From, they're holding you back in your spiritual life. Here are some of the thoughts that people wrestle with that, that when they hear come close to God or, or draw near to God or, or God invites you into his presence. Okay, What if I draw near to God and he refuses me? What, what if I've messed up my life? So much that God just says no. What if I'm just, maybe, what if I'm shamed by God and just made to feel worse than I already do? Or what if I choose to draw near to God and some Holy Ghost weird stuff happens to me? Or what if I attempt to come into God's presence but I do it wrong and I'm made to feel stupid? Or what if I don't say the right words in God's presence and he doesn't hear me or he refuses to listen? Or what if I come into God's presence and he asks me to do something that I don't want to do? He asks me to give up something that I don't want to give up. What if I draw near to God and he changes me into something that I don't want to be like one of those Jesus freaks? Or what if I don't want to draw near to God? Because honestly, it scares me to think of it. For, for some of you, the thought of Coming into a father's presence and drawing close is not appealing because maybe you had a challenging relationship with your earthly father. We, we may even have this image in our minds of, man, when I come before the Lord, I'm walking into this formal room in a place like Buckingham Palace where this king is sitting on this 
regal-looking chair, and next to him is his son, and they're all sitting up proper and straight, and everything feels really stuffy and intimidating. Well, fortunately over the years, listen, God has been reshaping my world and my thoughts and beliefs with biblical truth of who he is and what has, what's really happening as I draw, draw near to him. But all of that has been a journey. It didn't happen overnight. And God is still opening up my eyes to, to, to just how incredible this invitation is to draw near to God and to be close to him and actually what really happens when we're in his presence. So here's my goal this morning. I want to take you on a biblical guided tour into the throne room of God. And I want to introduce you to what the Bible says about what you will encounter from God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit as you walk into his presence. And here's my hope for every one of you. When you hear God's invitation to draw near, that you won't hesitate, you won't run away, you won't shrink back in fear, but instead you will run to him. And when you do, you will find so much more in God the Father and Jesus the Son and God's Holy Spirit than you ever dreamed was possible. And that you, and that you won't receive this invitation and respond to this invitation out of guilt or duty or fear, but you will long to live there in confidence because you know that there's no place that you'd rather be. It's the best place. So let's start our tour together, okay? What will we find? When, when we respond to God's presence or to, to God's invitation to draw near, what will we find in God's presence? Well, here's what, the, what God's word says. God says we will find a father who listens to us and answers. I love these verses uh, uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. John says that when our intimacy with God runs deep, we can have a confidence as we stand before him in prayer. We can know that we are praying with power and that God is not only hearing us, but he's answering us. John says, if you pray according to his will, he hears us and he will answer us. You say, well, how is that possible? Here's what you do. You pray the Bible. You pray God's word. Pray all of God's commands and promises back to him. God wants his word to be done in your life, in the lives of others, in the lives of your family members, in the lives of our community, in the lives of, of, of this church. When the word of God is coming out of your mouth in prayer, you are praying the most, the most powerful prayers that you could possibly pray. You are praying prayers that God listens to and is willing to answer 100% of the time. Some of you may need wisdom. I have prayed for wisdom so much over the last couple years. James chapter 1 verse 5 basically says this, God promises to give us wisdom generously without rebuking us if we ask him for it. And so if you're saying, Lord, hey, I need wisdom today. I've got to make a huge decision. I don't know what to do. But James chapter 1 verse 5 tells me that if I come before you and I ask you for wisdom, that you will give us uh, to me generously without holding back, and you will not rebuke me for asking for it. And so, Lord, I am claiming that promise today. Listen, when you pray prayers like that, and listen, you can pray other prayers, but when you pray God's word back to him and you are claiming promises and you are claiming, like you're saying, Lord, here's what this command says, and I am willing to obedience, you are praying some powerful prayers. 
Here's what else you'll find as you draw near. You will find a father who offers grace and mercy when you need it the most. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We've, we've taught on this a bit over the series. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Some of you desperately need God's mercy today. Maybe you are drowning in your own sin and you desperately need a rescue and you need God's forgiveness. Maybe your heart has drifted away from God and you are lukewarm at best and you need to know that God will welcome you back. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you're spiritually lost and you're wondering if there's hope for you. You need spiritual life. You need, you need forgiveness for unbelief and sin. You want to reconcile yourself to God and you need mercy. Listen to how the Apostle Paul addresses God the Father in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He, he addresses him this way. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, the word mercies is only used five times in the New Testament. Every time it's used, it means greatly compassioned. So to speak of God the Father as the Father of mercies, according to author Dane Ortland, is to say that he is the one that multiplies compassionate mercies to his needful, wayward, messy, fallen, wandering people. That means that if you've wandered away from God or if you're not as close to him as you'd like to be this morning, he has mercies to forgive you and cleanse you. That means if you're physically sick this morning, he has mercies to heal you. That means that he is a father that multiplies compassionate mercies towards you. And he doesn't withhold mercy from some while extending it to others because mercy is just simply who he is. And because it's who he is, his heart pours out mercy to anyone who will ask for it. Mercy, listen, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, on the other hand, God also promises grace. What is grace? Grace is getting what you, what, you, what you don't deserve. If mercy is not getting what you do deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And the writer of Hebrews calls God's presence the throne room of grace. What is it? Very simply, grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. There's a story in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle Paul is describing how God allowed him to have what he describes as a thorn in the flesh. We have no idea exactly what he's, he was experiencing, but he says that it was causing him a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And Paul says, listen, I pleaded with God three times to take it away. And God, God answered every single time the same way. And he didn't answer the way that I was praying. Instead, here's what he said to me. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, the fact that Paul doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh was gives us the freedom to apply any of the thorns in our lives to the promise in this verse. And here's what God promises. He promises sufficient grace. You may have a weakness in your life right now. You may need healing. You may need something. God promises sufficient grace. Here's what author Tony Evans says. God's sufficient grace is the inexhaustible supply of goodness that we cannot earn and we do not deserve, but that keeps on coming. Matter of fact, God says, if you will let me, he says, I'll display my power in your life through your weakness. 
Listen, what if, what if the thorn, I know some of you are struggling here today with a weakness. You're struggling with something that you feel is just dogging you that maybe you're comparing to someone else or maybe you're looking at it going, man, I've just fallen short in this area or I don't have what it takes. But what if that thorn in your life right now is not meant to destroy you, but instead it has been meant to be a doorway for you to experience God's power in your life? What if the thing that, that is just dogging you right now that woke you up at four o'clock this morning that is keeping you from going to bed at night is just a doorway for you to experience God's power in your life. That's what God's grace does. It lines us up to receive God's power and favor and anointing and his hand, which we don't deserve. God extends an invitation to everyone. He says, listen, don't stay away. Don't stay away. Instead, come get what you need. Because I'm a father that is listening and answering and I'm offering grace and mercy when you need it the most. Amy and I, um, just over the last couple weeks, have become empty nesters. Now, we've told people for the last several years that we were empty nesters, but our boys were messing with us, all right, because they just kept coming back. We had our oldest son who, who... plays baseball, he'd come back in the wintertime and he'd live with us. And then our youngest son who was in college and then cemetery, cemetery. (laughs) Sometimes when you're in seminary, you feel like it's a cemetery. Trust me, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, But anyways, he'd come back in the summertime. And so it was like, we're empty nesters? No, we're not. Well, Taylor got married December 29th and he moved to Birmingham. And then two days later, Zach moved to Kansas City to start a job in ministry. We became true empty nesters. And I'm going to tell you this, uh, the last couple weeks, we've been grieving a bit, just being honest with you, because we actually really like having our boys around. And we now, we really like having their girls with them. I mean, it's awesome when they're around, but when they're not, I'm telling you, our house is, it's just a lot more quiet. It really is, especially when Zach's gone. But it's just, and, and so Amy and I, I mean, we're watching a lot more shows. I mean, like we, we said, we're never going to be those people that watch shows. We have a lot of shows right now that we watch, all right? But, but, but honest truth, we've been grieving a little bit. But I want to tell you something. One of the things that we've talked about, we've talked about how the Lord is allowing us to release our boys and their girls to his mercy and grace. Lord, we trust you with these boys. We raise them up so that they would leave one day. Even though it's hard on us, we, that, that was your, your plan. Raise them up so they can leave. Meet these incredible girls. And Lord, we release them to experience your mercy and your grace. And it's a beautiful thing. All right? So we've talked about the Father who's listening and answering and offering us grace and mercy in our time of need. But what about Jesus? What's Jesus doing? Well, we know from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he's seated on God the Father's right hand. But what can you expect from Jesus as you walk into God's presence? All right, listen, I'm going to go deep here for a little bit, so stay with me, all right? We experience, first of all, a Savior who's interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, when we talk about intercession, we're talking about what Christ is doing right now, what is Jesus doing in heaven right now? He's interceding for us. What is intercession? It means that a third party comes between two others and makes a case to one on behalf of the other. 
who are the parties involved? On one hand, you've got God the Father. On the other hand, you've got believers, and Jesus is interceding for us. Now, why would Jesus need to do that? Didn't he accomplish everything he needed to accomplish for us on the cross? Listen, the fact that Jesus is interceding for us doesn't shortchange his finished work on the cross. It's just his way of continuing to apply it to our lives. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus can save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. That means that Jesus is still working on our behalf, saving us to completion and wholeness. Listen, every one of us in this room, or if you're watching online today, has something in our life that we have a difficult time believing that the forgiveness of God reaches down into. Listen, we, we know we're forgiven. We believe we're forgiven. But there's that one thing that just keeps dogging us that seems so ugly that it's beyond recovery. Our staff and our elders right now are reading this book uh, by this guy named Dane Ortland, which is why we keep quoting him up here, called Gentle and Lowly. It's a great, great book. And I want you to listen to what he says about the uttermost. He says, to the uttermost means that God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. More than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. He knows us to the uttermost. He saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. Oh, that's so good. Now, some of you may be thinking, how do you know that to be true? Here's what it means that Jesus is always interceding for us. The word always means that Jesus is always bringing his life and his death and his resurrection before his father in a moment by moment by moment way. John Calvin says, Christ turns the father's eyes to his own righteousness to avert his gaze from our sins. Why does Jesus always have to intercede for us in heaven? Because we continue to need it here on earth because we continue to mess up and sin, don't we? That means Jesus is always praying for you. His prayers are rescuing, you, rescuing us from the power of sin. They are rescuing us from the attacks of Satan and they are helping to deliver us from trials and they are working us for us to get us through trials. And as we draw near to God, Jesus is saving us to the uttermost and he's interceding for us. Now this next truth is equally powerful and just as important. As we come into God's presence, not only is Jesus interceding for us, but he's also serving as an advocate with the Father. An intercessor mediates between two parties as, and brings them together. An advocate aligns themselves with someone else. They, they join someone as they approach someone else. And here's what John says about Jesus, the advocate. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, as I said earlier, we have a problem. I have a problem, you have a problem. Even though we are... God's children, and we are completely forgiven, we still sin. And even though God is, is very loving, he is equally just, and his natural response to sin is wrath. 
Jesus appeased God's wrath against sin by sacrificing his life for the sins of the whole world. Your sins, my sins, everyone's sins. So imagine with me for a moment a defense attorney in a court of law. If you are a believer in Jesus, Jesus is your defense attorney. He is representing you before the bar of God's judgments. And sometimes we stand in God's presence, and here we are. We stand there guilty, and we stand there bankrupt because of our sin. We know that we don't deserve God's mercy, and we know we can't afford a lawyer. And yet that's when God appoints Jesus to stand in your defense. And Jesus takes your case every time and defends your cause, not because of your merits, but because of his. His suffering and his death put you in the right legal standing with God, allowing him to have intimacy with you. So here's a question. Here's a couple questions. Who is Jesus during those moments when you lose your temper and fly off the handle at your wife or your husband? Who is Jesus when you lie to your employer or to a friend? Who is Jesus when you gossip about someone or you talk behind their back? Who is Jesus when you lose that habitual battle to pornography once again? Who is he in the midst of all of this sin? He is our advocate. Revelations chapter 12 verse 20 says that we have an accuser named Satan who is accusing the brethren all the time. He is standing there pointing his finger at you, accusing you before the Father. But the Apostle John says that Jesus is the one that is standing up for you and defying all accusers. John Bunyan writes this, Satan had the first word, but Jesus had the last. Satan must be speechless after a plea of our advocate. In our sin and faithful, in our, in our sin and in our sinfulness, Jesus is standing there advocating for us and he's defending us. Think about that for a moment. Just let that sink in. That right there should make you want to run into the Father's presence and into his arms with humility and without hesitation. Because of that, we never have to come defensively before the Father. We never have to come making excuses for our sin. We don't have to come before him trying to explain it away. We don't have to shift blame. We don't need to advocate for ourselves. Instead, when we do sin, we come brokenhearted that we have not lived up to our calling as children of God. We, we, we come knowing that we've missed the mark. We come knowing that we deserve God's wrath. But because of Jesus, we come into God's presence knowing that Jesus has been praying for us to come and he's been advocating on our behalf before the Father. And when we confess our sins, God the Father says, because of my son Jesus, you're forgiven once again. So we have a father who's listening and answering, who's offering grace and mercy when we need it the most. We have a son, Jesus the son, who is interceding for it. And think about, he's praying for us all the time. And he's advocating for us on our behalf. But here's what we also have. We have a Holy Spirit who plays a significant role as well. What's he doing? In God's presence, we have a spirit who helps us as we pray. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples have finally made the connection between Jesus' ability to be intimate with God and his prayer life. And here's what they ask him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And from there, Jesus teaches them how to pray, and we know it today as the Lord's Prayer. 
Well, later on in the book of John, John chapter 14, Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he's leaving them. He is going to go back and he's going to return to his father in heaven and the disciples don't take this news very well and they're upset. And here's what Jesus tells them in John 14, 26. He says, but the helper, the comforter, okay, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, Jesus taught the disciples a ton of things, but remember, he taught them how to pray. And here's what you can count on when you are standing in God's presence. You can count on having a Holy Spirit who is with you at that very moment, helping you to know what to say. He is bringing the promises of God back to your memory so you can pray in power. He is lining up your will with God's will so when you're praying, you know that your prayers are being heard and they're going to be answered. And if you're a believer in Jesus and you're standing in God's presence, you also need to know the Holy Spirit is always standing with you. You say, how do you know that to be true? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and in other places in Scripture that God put the Holy Spirit into our hearts as a pledge that we belong to him. So that means that when you receive Jesus Christ to be your Savior, the Holy Spirit came inside and has taken up residence. That means that wherever you go, he goes with us. Now, that may scare some of you. But wherever you go, he goes with you. Whatever you're watching, he's watching with you. Whatever you're listening to, he's listening with you. And he serves as our helper, and he helps us to know how to pray as we stand in God's presence. But what if I'm standing in God's presence and I don't have the words? It's the air duck. Or the Holy Spirit, who knows? I don't know. Some of you are watching online go, what just happened in there? The air just came on. What about those times in life when we feel so weak or struggle so deeply? We're struggling so deeply that we just don't know what to say to God. The words won't come. The tears are flowing. The emotions are heavy, but the words will not come out. Here's what we can count on during moments like that. We have a spirit who prays for us when we don't know what to say. Romans 8, verse 26, here's what Paul writes. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Ah, And the Father who knows. This is good. This is good. And the Father who knows all our hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Let me tell you why I love those verses because they tell me that the Holy Spirit steps into our prayer life in moments of weakness. In moments when we're just struggling and he prays for us. And when he prays for us, his prayers line up perfectly with God's will for us. I cannot tell you how many moments over the last couple of years especially, that Amy and I have walked around this, this, this church in the morning praying, pleading with God. Sometimes the tears are flowing down our faces, our emotions are heavy, and sometimes we're crying out audibly to God. I don't know what the neighbors are thinking, but we are crying out audibly. But there have been a few moments where I've just, I have literally said this, Holy Spirit, I need you to be my helper right now. I don't have the words 
I don't know what to say. The words won't come. I need you to pray to the Father on my behalf. And at those moments, here's what's happening. God the Father bends his ear down from heaven and he listens to the Holy Spirit speaking words on my behalf. And while he's listening to the Holy Spirit in one ear, he has Jesus interceding on my behalf, speaking into his other ear. And he's telling Satan to back off from that moment because his kids belong to the Father. They've been bought and purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. And how does the father respond to all of this? He's listening and he's answering. And he's giving me grace and mercy and giving you grace and mercy at our greatest time of need. And the apostle Paul sums all of this up beautifully in Ephesians 2.18. He says, for through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the father. The invitation is clear. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And when you respond, here's what you do. You come with joy. You come with confidence. You come boldly. You come broken. You come jacked up. You come messed up. You come with your weaknesses. You come overwhelmed. You come speechless. You come with tears flowing. You come with heavy hearts because when you come, here's what you'll find. You will find a father who is listening and answering. A father who offers grace and mercy when we need it most. A savior who is interceding for us. A savior who is advocating on our behalf with the father. A spirit who helps us when we pray. And one who prays for us when we don't know what to say. So let us come. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Father, thank you. You long for us to live in your presence. And you say, just come. Come just as we are. Come joyful, come happy, come broken and messy. Come in humility. Just come. promise to listen and answer and you promise grace and mercy at the times we need it the most and when we come Jesus is praying for us and he's advocating for us because he's the only one that can and we have a spirit that is helping us to know what to say and when we don't know what to say he's saying it for us oh my goodness what an offer what an offer. If you're here today and you're just, maybe you've seen it all for the first time with new eyes. Why would you want to turn it, why would you want to turn that invitation down? The God of the universe says, come every day, every moment, live in my presence, hang, let's hang. If you're messed up, you're sinful, come on. Come broken. There's forgiveness for you. There's cleansing. There's fresh starts. You're grieving, come on, I understand. I'm with you. My heart is heavy with you.
you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to be your savior, why would you turn that down? Why would you turn down forgiveness? Why would you turn down a new life and eternity in heaven? And if you've been turning that down, say yes now. Would you pray with me? Just say, Lord, at this moment, I put all my faith and trust in Jesus to be my savior. I will not reject this offer one more time. I say yes, I receive it. What Jesus Christ did for me on the cross was enough. I put all my faith and all my trust in Jesus. I ask you with a humble heart to forgive me of my sin, to breathe new life into these dead bones and to give me eternal life when I'm no longer on this earth. And only Jesus can do that. He accomplished it all on the cross and then conquered death through the resurrection. And I, by faith, I received that. Thank you for this, Lord. I don't deserve it, but grace offers it to me. And I say yes to it right now. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's message. If you want to dig deeper into what you just heard, consider checking out our Next Steps podcast. Every Monday, we'll have a practical conversation surrounding Sunday's message and talk through how we can apply it to our daily lives. Along the way, we're going to tackle other tough questions and topics that will help strengthen your walk with God. Whether you're new to the faith or you're a longtime follower of Christ, there's a next step to take in your own story. Just search for Westridge Church Next Steps Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit westridge.com backslash podcast.